of Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul and Barnabas, they're traveling through this region known as uh, Galatia. And um, as you can see on the map that I put up, I kind of zoomed in this week to, to kind of give you a better idea. Jerusalem is kind of down on the bottom just to see... Sh- just so you can see how far they are away from uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem now is not really the hub of Christianity as, as, uh, as the Romans have, have come in and kind of, uh, you know, quell, uh, you know, quashed down or, or squished the, 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 the spread of what they thought, the spread of Christianity out of Jerusalem. But what they did was they caused it to spread. So Antioch is now the, the kind of the hub of the, uh, of the, of the church. And Paul and Barnabas uh, traveled across the, uh, uh, and went over to Cyprus, and now they're up um, in the Lystra, Derby, Iconian area, as what, what generally is called the first uh, Paul's, uh, Paul's first missionary journey. But they're they're in the land of of what uh, the Gauls settled. So uh, you know, when when we read the book of Galatia, and later he writes the book uh, Galatians, he's writing to the people of this area, and and the reason why it's called Galatians is because uh, the Gauls took over this land. But right now, they're, they're meeting them for the first time. We l- read the book of Galatians and go, oh, he's writing the friends. But we have to remember, right now, he's like he's a traveling missionary, and he's meeting them for the very first time. And while on, the, on their trip, they attend church. They, they go to synagogue. They, they, every town they go to, they go to the synagogue first. Uh, because as you know, as, as I know, the Old Testament is full of, of Jesus Christ. So they'll go in and they sh- they'll sit there and listen to the lesson. And we talked about kind of how synagogue worked a little bit last week and how as a, a guest, as, as Pharisees, as, as Paul would have been and what he would have known to be, he would get a chance to speak. So he would get up there and he would say, you know, all the stuff you've been studying, let me tell you who the true God is. He came down here on this earth. So he would go through and, and introduce them to Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting out of all this is these guys aren't teenagers anymore. It's not like they're gung-ho young guys that are just out to conquer the world. No, these guys are, are at the age where, where, where most of them would have children that are, that are teenagers. They're settling down. They're, they're trying to take care of their families. I mean, that's it's kind of the age that these guys are, are at. Yet, they're out in the world, and, and they're, they're very uh, excited uh, to, to be taking this step of faith for God and traveling, the, uh, in a sense, the world, uh, the known world at the time to talk about Jesus Christ. Uh, So let's pick it up in uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 49. It says, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of, of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protests against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what is happening here is, is this Jewish group of people that cannot really stand what Paul and Barnabas are bringing forth. They're sitting there going, you've come into my synagogue, and you're talking about this man that I don't believe in, so I'm going to do everything I can to go up against you. So literally, they're following these guys around. So Paul and Barnabas come into a town, and they start to introduce Christ, and they start to minister to all the people. And then as soon as Paul and Barnabas kind of walk out, these guys come running in saying, no, 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 everything they're teaching is wrong. Let's go back to the, the, to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So this is kind of what's going on. So this other group is following them around and, and stuff. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that all Jews were against them. Because there's kind of this thought pattern that has prevailed in the churches that, that you know, all Jews, you know, it's all a negative view of Jews. We don't need to have that negative view. Because, I mean, look at Paul himself. He was a Jew. All the disciples were, were the, what's their background? They were all Jewish. So let's not get the idea that the book of Acts is an anti-Jewish book. In fact, this will all come to a head in, in Acts chapter 15. But now they're coming in and they've stirred up enough people to take legal action against Paul and Barnabas. That's what it's talking about here when it said that they uh, expelled them from the region. They literally went into their, their courts and they took legal action to get them out of the city. So what do they do is they go and they shake the dust off their feet and they move on. This is a Jewish tradition. You hit a tough situation in life, you shake the dust off of the city and you walk away. What, the, what they're saying is, is they're taking this contamination from the situation. And as I'm leaving, this contamination from the situation isn't going to leave with me. And this would be really a good thing for us to, to learn today. Because... To be able to say that, you know what, this situation has hurt me, or this situation is not a good situation, I'm going to, and it's contaminated me, but as I leave, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet so I can move on. Moving on is literally moving forward in life. Or we can keep the dust honest and let the dust build up over the years. Then somebody comes in and just looks around and goes, oh man, you're dusty. And they're like swatting at the dust and you know, and you end up contaminating everybody else's life. I'm convinced that this is one of the things that hurts the Christian church the most today. We get hurt from one place of worship and friends. What do we do? We leave that situation. But as we leave, we don't shake the dust off our feet. We take that situation with us and we go into another place and we contaminate that place by talking about it with rumors and, and all these different things. Pretty soon we, we end up looking like Pigpen from the Peanuts. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Everywhere he goes, there's just a cloud of dust around him. And you contaminate other people. We need to get to a point where we can put a close on a situation and not take the pain with us in life. Now, I, I kind of related this to church, but we can relate to this to any situation in our life. It doesn't have to be a church situation. We need to get to a point where we don't take the thoughts with us. You know, I, I tell you, the last time I was at home, Somebody really, really irritated me. And I, I'm not going to go into who and why and all that and stuff. But, I mean, last time I was in Houston, I was just so, ah, oh, man, this person walked in the room. And, I, I mean, the, the hair on my neck would just bristle up. Well, you know, the sad fact is, I brought that with me. Every time I think of that person here, I'm just, I, I just, oh, I get, I get more and more irritated about it. And I keep going over and over and over it in my mind. We need to shake the dust off our feet to the point where we don't go over that stuff in our mind. We don't gossip about it. 
We're not going to try and get them back, you know, whatever the situation may be. We just say, you know what, I'm going to move on. And you know what, this, this selfishness, in a sense, is kind of a healthy thing. We're going to get to a point where we say, I'm going to end this by getting out of here. I'm going to shake the dust off my feet, and I'm going to move on. This is a very healthy thing to do. So these guys, they move on, and they go on to, to up into Iconian, and, and this is modern-day Turkey, okay? And in fact, it's a nice little town, still in the same spot. It's about 50,000 uh, people, so it's a nice little small town there. But it says in... in um, Verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So here you have a whole bunch of Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, believing. And these Jews become what, what is called Messianic Jews. Anytime you hear that term Messianic Jew, it just means a, 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 Jewish, uh, per, a person of Jewish faith who now believes that Jesus is the Messiah. They're looking for the Messiah, and they found him. It's an exciting thing uh, for a Messianic Jew to grow up like this, to grow up uh, reading Torah, to grow up going through the, the classes to, to become a man or to become a, a woman in a sense. So they call it bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah uh, for the ladies. To come to a point where you can actually read the, the scriptures within the synagogue. That's a very important thing. But everything is geared toward learning that there's a Messiah. And then for, for a Jewish person to find out that Jesus Christ is that Messiah, it's an exciting thing. So here you have a, a, good mix of pe- a good mix of people here. You have the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers or the Greek believers. In verse 2 it says, But the Jews who, free, who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent con- considerable time there speaking boldly for the, war, uh, for the Lord. Now two things really caught my attention here. One is you have people going in and stirring up other people. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I want to ask the question, how many of us have done this? Oh, can you believe what Randy said? Let me tell you, I can't, let me tell you what he did. You see what I'm saying? I always use Randy for an example. It's great. He's right down here, and he, he actually gives me a dirty look when I use him, so it's great. But, you know, we, we go into a situation where we're like, we don't like what so-and-so did or said, and we go to who? The people that we know that's going to agree with us, and we start telling them about it. That's, what ha- that's what's happening here. They're going to people, and they're poisoning their minds. Now, the second fact that, that caught my attention is they didn't do what? Well, the last place that, that there was a, a problem, what did they do? They shook off their, the dust off their feet. They left and said, sorry, it's on you. I, uh, I'm, we're not dealing with this anymore. We're not taking this issue with us. We're just leaving. They don't do that here. They don't leave. You see, these guys didn't leave every time it got tough. That would just be running away. If you find yourself in a situation where every time something gets tough, you run away, well, that's cowardness. Uh, coward, uh, I can't even say the word. You're being a coward. You're not dealing with the situation. You're just running away. These guys didn't do that every time. They stayed until it was time to go so they could teach the young guys there. They could teach them about Jesus. They could teach them uh, the, the ways of the Lord. In fact, it says, The Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Now, this is how the Lord operates. This is great because it's not our job to grant signs and wonders, miracles. It's not our job to do that. Our job is to teach the grace. Our job is to, to teach the truth. Our job is to, to point toward Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
We're not responsible for the signs of wonders. We don't have to work people up, you know, in the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go, in the name of Jesus. We don't have to go there. Our job is to point toward Christ, not to get this artificial feeling with, you know, and get everybody all riled up. Our role is to point toward God. So we don't make up some mumbo-jumbo about healing someone's marriage or or bringing God into a situation or helping with some uh, finances. Our job is to point toward Jesus Christ and tell them the Lord can help you with the issues that you have. Now, the Lord may use a miracle in that situation. I'm not saying, oh, let's ignore all miracles. We're going to get to that in a second. But our job is to point toward Jesus. We say, Lord, I am yours. This is your job. So we pray believing that the Lord will help us in those situations. And this is the case with any decision that we have. In crisis, we should gather and pray. Financial issues, gather and pray. Family issues, gather and pray. Friends, you need to gather and pray. And then we plug into the grace of God. So if you're in need of a miracle today, I say pray. You may be the next sign and wonder with, uh, you know, among us within our group that God says, I've done a miracle in their life. You know, we like to rate miracles, don't we? Healed a marriage? That's kind of cool. Cured of cancer? Wow! You see what I'm saying? Oh, you didn't get ran over by the truck? Well, you shouldn't have ran out in front of the street, you know? I mean, we like to rate the miracles, and God could have been in the middle of all three of those situations. I say we need to start opening our eyes to be able to see the signs and wonders that are out there. I believe they're out there a lot more than what we think because we just don't open our eyes enough to see them. Well, verse 4, it says, The people of the city were divided. Basically, everybody was talking about what was going on. So some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a, a plot afoot among the Gentile and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to uh, Laconian, cities of Lystra and Derby in the surrounding country, where they continue to preach the good news. Now, this motto is like my motto. If you can avoid a beating, you should. I like that one, right? So they moved on. And don't think that they were just chicken. They were following the Holy Spirit. It's very important for us to follow the prompting of our Lord and Savior in in the Spirit. And you're saying, well, how can I tell if the Spirit is prompting me? Well, did you do the last thing that the Lord asked you to do? Some of us go, man, the Lord really isn't speaking to me. I'm sitting there going, he's been telling you to do the same thing for the last 15 years, and you've been ignoring him. Now, I won't go into details, but... You know, sometimes my wife tells me to do something over and over and over again. And then I'm kind of, you know, she's upset with me. And I go, well, if you would just tell me. And she's just like, I've been telling you for the last five days. Same thing with the Lord. Well, Lord, if you'd just speak to me, the Lord's going, I've been trying. I say go back and do the last thing that the Lord asked you to do. And I know I've talked about this before, but I think it's important. Some of us are stuck in the same rut that we've been in for years because we're refusing to listen to the Lord. And if you start listening to Him about that, you'll start to understand His voice even better. So they go for about 20 miles. Uh, go, uh, they go, as they leave, they go about 20 miles away. And they start talking to the, the people in the different regions. And, and they'll come back to the city and stuff. But it says in verse 8, In Lystra there, there sat a man, a man crippled and 
in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. You know, I could imagine uh, this man's dad when he was a little boy. Because my little boy's about, he's ready to walk. He's only seven months, and believe me, he's ready to walk. But I can imagine other children his age, you know, and, and you know, I have a sister-in-law, and my brother uh, had a child about a month before mine. And every one of her children had been preemies, and this was the first one she's ever uh, come to full term with. But he was a little smaller and stuff, and, you know, he's got older brothers and sisters that are, you know, 11, 10, and, you know, that age. So he's just, he's content to sit in his little bumbo and just watch him. He just sits there, and he plays and stuff, but he, he, he has... He, he has no gumption. I mean, gumption in the sense of he's not like trying to get up and walk around. My kid, you cannot set him in your lap without him twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting. And about after 10 minutes, you're just like, here, you take him. You know, but I can imagine this guy's dad is, he's, you know, his other children are beginning to walk. His legs aren't working. This guy's legs aren't working. And here he is. Years later, and his man is crippled in his feet. And verse 9 says, He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Well, this is great. Paul has this discernment about this guy. And this is really a miracle in itself that, that Paul, you know, you're sitting there going, How did Paul know? Well, the Holy Spirit connected with Paul and told him that this guy had this faith. But instead of saying, wow, I see that you have a little bit of faith. I I hope that faith heals you. No. Paul gets up and he gets to be the one to say, stand up and walk. Paul is activating his faith. Paul gets to be the guy who activates this guy's faith. It's exciting to be used by God. I want you to imagine yourself as this guy. Be this guy for a moment. There comes a time when the Lord says to you, stand up. Activate your faith. It's time. Let's go. Now, for some of us, the Lord is speaking directly to us. But what if we said to the Lord, well, Lord, it's just not as simple as that. Do you know how old I am now? I mean, I'm not a child anymore. I I wouldn't even know how to start to stand up. I mean, we're talking years of therapy here, Lord. It's just not going to happen overnight. What if if our reaction was uh, like that? Or, Or how about Paul? Hey, why don't you just try to stand up? Instead of just saying, stand up. Now, what if this guy was in the 21st century? He pulls the 21st century thing. But Paul, what about my inner child? It's also crippled. You know, I, I got emotional things that I got to deal with also. I mean, years of counseling ahead of me. I think I'm okay the way I am. I like it this way. I'm used to it this way. If he would have done this, he would have missed out on what the Lord had for him. And this is what the Lord has to say to you. There comes a time when the Lord says to us, Stand up and walk. And we can either use an excuse or we can do it. Lord, this is impossible. Or, okay, I'll do it. The Lord is saying, I am talking to you. Is that what the Lord is saying to you today? Maybe you're stuck. Or maybe where you're stuck is that you're too afraid to take a step of faith with whatever the Lord is asking you to do. 
Now, why would you be afraid? Is it because maybe you don't recognize the voice of the Lord? You haven't, you know, you haven't been with Him enough to recognize it, and you're kind of scared like, okay, is this God or is this not? Or maybe you, you think it's just wish, wishful thinking on your part. Man, I've been dealing with this, and I think the Lord's saying this, but I don't know, maybe it's just me. Or maybe you asked Him before, and He said no at that point. Or maybe you just might be wrong. Even if all of that is true, wouldn't it be worth the risk? Yes or no? Let's say you have an impossible situation right now. Maybe it's health, money, family, job, family's finances. Is it out of control? But you feel the the Spirit of God prompting you right now, and you kind of think maybe He's talking to you. Well, I say you don't want to be a roadblock to what God wants to do in your life starting today. I fear that most often the Lord prompts us to do something more often and, and maybe we even connect with it, but we become our own roadblock. We get all gun-ho, we start thinking about it, but as soon as we walk out that door, man, life hits us and all thoughts of God kind of go away, don't they? Man, I can't tell you how many times we do that. It's like, okay, what's for lunch? Oh, lunch. Man, i got to feed the whole family. Or, man, i got to go home this afternoon. The lawn, i got the lawn, i got all these other projects lined up. Man, i got a busy day ahead of me. And life just kind of gets in the way. We're our own worst enemy. I think also, we just don't want to look silly. We just don't want to put ourselves out there and we just look silly to the world or silly to our friends or silly to our family. You know what? It's not silly for you to have faith. And I say, activate your faith. Take whatever steps necessary that you need to take so you can rise and walk out of whatever situation the Lord wants you to walk out on. Or maybe go into a situation the Lord wants you to go into. And one day you can say, you know what? Let me tell you a time when God worked a miracle in my life. It happened on July what 17th, 2011 is when it began. Now, just for kicks, how many of you feel right now that the Lord's speaking to you? Yeah. There's a few. Okay, repeat after me. I promise to obey the Lord. I will activate my faith. See, you've got to follow through on it. You just can't say, oh man, I, I really feel the Lord can, I, the Holy Spirit's kind of prompting me. You've got to do something about it. This guy had faith and it took the Apostle Paul to stand up and come to him and say, get up and walk. I say, get up and walk. Do what the Lord wants you to do. Now, anything the Lord wants you to do, it's going to be confirmed in the Bible in a sense. The Lord's not going to tell you to go out and hurt someone. The Lord's going to prompt you to do what, what, what is good and what is, what is great for, for His nature. It follows who He is. So I, I just want to clarify that to you. Verse 11, it goes on. It says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to, to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Now, this happened to me and Randy at, this last week in Walmart. 
We were there and they just started saying, that's Zeus and that's... Okay, not really. Randy's like, what are you talking about? But this is really wild. Zeus and Hermes. And for the Romans, this would have been Jupiter and Mercury. But why are they doing this? Why Why is this even in there? Why would they think these guys are gods? Well, in this area, there was a, there was a legend. And, the, and they had a temple to, to the god of Zeus. And when I say god of Zeus, I'm talking a little g-god. Not really a god, but just somebody that we make up and say, oh, there's gods out there. So they had a temple right outside the town to Zeus. And it revolved around how the temple got there. And, and two trees that were growing in front of this temple. You know, according to legend, Zeus and Hermes came down to earth and they visited there. But no one was nice to them in this area. No one at all, except for two people. An elderly couple named um, Philemon and Bobkus, or Philemon and Bobkus. Wouldn't you love to have that name, Bobkus? Hey, Bobkus? Yeah, anyway, okay. So when they left, they blessed this couple, and they turned their little, little cottage into the temple. So I guess all those guys that actually put their time, energy, and effort and money into building that temple, they're just all ignored. But all of a sudden, this temple's there from their little cottage. And then when this couple died, they turned them into these two everlasting trees out in front of the temple. And everybody else in that town, they turned into frogs. That's the legend, okay? So what's going on here is the townspeople, they don't want to take the same, same chance. They're sitting there going, okay, if anybody comes in here and they're acting like gods, we're going to treat them like gods. I'm not, I'm not going to be no frog. That's the thought pattern here. So when two guys show up, one tall, dark, and handsome, and one that's a speaker, we know who you are. You healed somebody. You're Zeus and Hermes. We better get back into the scripture. Verse 13. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they thought, this is great. It'll give us some credibility. We can get some TV time. Maybe we can see. Okay, no, no. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? You know, it took Paul and Barnabas a, a, you know, a while to figure out what was going on because there was a language barrier. All they, you know, the crowd's in an uproar and they're kind of going, okay, what? They're calling us, what? And here comes the, the priest dragging some bull down the, you know, down the road. They're going to sacrifice. All of a sudden they're building this altar and they're like, no, 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 no. We've heard what happens when you act like God and it's not going to happen to us. Don't do that. And they say, we too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Now what they're saying to them is very offensive. They're pointing to those temples out there and they're saying, that temple to Zeus that you think is a god, he's a false god and he's dead. Now turn to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in it, in them. In the past... He will, uh, in the past, he let all nations go their own way. Now, let's stop for a second and look at what they do. These guys point the people to the real God. They don't allow them to take their preconceived ideas of, of what a God is and who a God, how a God should act 
and say, yeah, our God fits that mold. They don't allow them to use those preconceived ideas. They don't want to become gods. They don't want to say, yes, we're gods. Now follow us. We'll bring you to the real God. No, they say, no, we're not gods. Let us point to you to the living God. This goes against what they believe if they were, you know, if they were to do this. Now, I was joking about the Walmart thing earlier, but, but we're not dealing with people who make us into gods on a regular basis, are we? No, we're not. Your neighbor doesn't think you're a god. Your neighbor complains about you, most likely, because all neighbors complain about neighbors. I don't know why that is. That's what we deal with. But we deal with definitions. See, we shouldn't allow the community to define who we are as Christians. Last week, we talked about who we are in Christ. In fact, I've printed a whole bunch of sheets there in the back that says who we are in Christ. And it has a whole bunch of different verses that that talks about uh, who we are, how God defines us. We should not allow the world to say, we know who you are and why you are here. We have to clearly bring our message to the community around us, our friends, our neighbors, our work environments, so that they don't dictate what the gospel means. Because the community always waters down everything when it comes to Jesus Christ. Now, I noticed something else here. Paul and Barnabas are not speaking Christianese. It's a beautiful language, isn't it? Justification is a beautiful word. Righteousness is a beautiful word. Sanctification, saved, born again. They're all great words and they're very meaningful to us in this environment. But out in the world, when we say, Brother, you need to be sanctified. Are you saved? Is that the Spirit talking or is it the flesh? Sorry, the South comes out to me anytime I start preaching like that. But Paul and Barnabas, they're speaking the Gentiles, so what do they do? They just talk about God. The Gentiles are seeking God. They're just not seeking God in church. So we have to be careful how we present the Lord, not that we water Him down whatsoever. We just speak to them so they can understand because if we use all these words that they don't understand, they just kind of get a blank stare on their face like, uh-huh, uh, okay, what? okay, that's nice. No, we can't talk to them like that. Where do we see in modern day times people seeking God? Well, right now, the big thing is in nature. See, we don't have to to bring the Bible and nail somebody upside the head to bring them to the Lord. We can show them that God exists by showing His creation. For, for those that love nature, you're out on a hike, you can talk about you know, a creator being that created all this and eventually get it to, to the point where you're talking about, I know that creator, let me tell you about him. He is the creator. See, most people believe that something created this world. But as soon as you mention the word God or Jesus, they kind of, you know. But we start talking about a creator, See, this is a, the progression that Paul will use over and over again. There is a God that is unknown to you. This God is alive. This God is the creator of everything. And then after he gets through that and he gets them all on board, he goes, now let me tell you about Jesus. Because he is God coming to us to have a relationship with us. Because God is so holy that we can't even enter into his presence. 
Therefore, Jesus Christ died for our sins to make us holy enough so we can enter into His presence. We don't go into heaven with all this baggage of our sin. We get to enter into heaven and we get to be with God because we become holy. That is the gospel message without saying John 3.16. Let's not shove our Bible down people's throats. We can do it other ways that are more gentle to people. Now, sometimes you've got to be firm. Don't get me wrong. But there's ways to present God that is, in a sense, safer that, that people respond to. Well, verse 17, it says, Yet he has not left himself without testimony. In other words, he didn't just create the world and all the people and everything in it and just leave. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in the seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. He's saying God is alive. He is a creator. He is merciful and patient, and He's provided for you. Verse 18, it says, Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I mean, you've got to love these guys, right? This is, I mean, and, and I would have loved to have been there to see Paul and Barnabas' reaction to this. But it says in verse 19, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. If you ever have those days where you think, man, this, you know, I mean, think about this situation. They went from, let's sacrifice bulls to you, to, oh, we're going to stone you to death. If you ever think you have a bad day, just read this story over and over again. You know, kind of put it in perspective. Verse 20, it says, But after the disciples had gathered around him, and the people gathered around him was Eunice. You'll hear that word later on, and, uh, or that name, and, and Lois, and Timothy. You got grandma, mom, and son all together. This is the calling of Timothy. Timothy goes, you know, First Timothy and Second Timothy. This is the, the Paul writes to. This is the introduction to Timothy here. But it said, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. This guy is incredible. They stone him till they think he is dead. I mean, how hurt do you have to be for somebody to think you're dead? Think about that for a second. You've got to be so hurt that your breathing is so shallow that they can't see you breathing because if they see you breathing, they're going to throw another stone at you. I mean, the, the, I mean, he was hurt. And he was able to even just get up. But then he goes right back into the city. I mean, this is one tough guy. I, you know, I mean, hello, Paul. Um, can we shake the dust off our feet? Can we, uh, you know, just go to the next city? Isn't that what we did last time? Just shake the dust off? Let's, let's go somewhere else? No, he goes right back into the city. This is an amazing man. The crowd tried to deify him. He didn't allow it. They tried to stone him. And the next day he went right back there. This is what leadership has got to do. And when you're in leadership, and when, you know, I'm talking church leadership, uh, junior high leadership, elementary leader, I mean, whatever leadership position that, that you are in, maybe it's leadership position in your job. Sometimes when you're in leadership, you can't allow the crowd to determine uh, what you do. You can't have approval issues in leadership. Well, really, you can have them, but you just got to deal with them. You can't be a leader because you want to be liked. Because half the time it'll be fun, and the other half the time, you know, the other uh, half you're sitting there going, why did God call me to do this? 
The same crowd trying to deify you will one day turn and try to throw stones at you the next. It's very important sometimes for, you know, to, to, to instruct the orchestra. You've got to turn your back on the crowd, don't you? Now, this doesn't mean you ignore them. You, you can't do that either. But you can't be in leadership when it's all about approval. This is like somebody going to, to, to marriage thinking, this will make me whole now. Everything will be all right. When you've got to work at marriage, it, you know, it won't work until a person works through their approval issues. Now, leadership is a lonely place at times. But only if the person is not in the Word and connecting with the Lord and spending time with Him, because the more time with Him you are with, the more time you spend with Him, the less you're waiting on approval of those around you. If you're waiting on approval of those around you, man, you're going to have a long wait. Sometimes, sometimes it comes really quickly, and sometimes you're sitting there going, "Well, does anybody even care?" That's a part of leadership. That's just how it is. See, the Lord will humble you with stoning sometimes to get you to a point where He can lead you. And we're like, Lord, is this how you treat your friends? He's like, well, sometimes you need to be stoned for for you to be able to listen to me. So if you crave leadership, I say pray about it. If you are in leadership, then you have to know that you go to the Lord first. You know, the way that you can figure out whether you're accepted or not this is to figure out if you're accepted or not in Christ first. It goes the same for approval. So whether you're talking about working with children or junior high or high school or starting a men's ministry or wh- wherever else, you've got to deal with your approval issues the same way these guys did. They threw out the high grades and they threw out the low grades in order to get the curve. The crowd stones them, they go back. The crowds deify them, they rebuke them. Why? Because they don't need their approval. They have the approval of Christ. They know who they are in God. Now, most of us deal with approval issues because of our parents. Now, I'm not one of these, let's blame the parents type of guy. You know, yes, my parents molded me in who I am, but I can't blame them because I make my own choices. But this one issue seems to be really connected with how much the parents said, good job, great job. So if you're a parent, make sure you're telling your kids these things. It's another way to say, I love you and I accept you from both mom and dad. Now, some of us have grown up missing some of those pieces from our parents. And you know what? Jesus Christ can fill those missing pieces. He can. He wants to. He's not going to leave us feeling insecure. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And that's how He takes care of those issues in us. Well, let's move on. It says, The next day, He and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconian, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. You know... I think it's kind of interesting. He said, he said here, we must go through many hardships. Some of those same people now that they're going back to and encouraging caused their hardship the first time they went through. And they're back there encouraging them. That's really cool. 
Verse 23, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. After going through yeah, those cities. And when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. From Attila, they sailed back to Antioch, where they, had been, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered, they gathered uh, the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stared, uh, stayed there for a long time with their disciples. It's really cool that Barnabas and Paul get to go back to their home church where their ministry really started and they really get to enjoy ministry for a while until they set off onto their second missionary journey. It's really cool that they, they get that time to recover and to, to relax and, and to, to really enjoy great ministry. But these last two studies have really covered about 18 months. I don't want you to think that all this all just happened in a few weeks and they went back. This has been a year and a half for them. They traveled 1,400 miles by foot, by boat, and by horseback. Met all kinds of people and have shared the gospel. And now they're back home at their home fellowship. And Paul writes the book of Galatians right here back to those people. He writes to his friends. His friends that he was able to go to and encourage. Now before we finish today... I do want to pray for those who need to step out in faith. We talked about this a little earlier, that sometimes the Lord prompts us to do something. And we can do one of two things. We can get excited about it and then sit on our hands and do nothing. Or we can get up and walk. Get up and walk. That's what the Lord wants us to do in life. When He prompts us to do something, He calls us to do something, we have to do it. Or we'll stay stuck in that same area. So let's pray for those who need to step out in faith. Lord, I want to thank you for the encouragement of Paul and Barnabas in our lives. That we can look at people who left bad situations and shook the dust off their feet. We can look at people who went through tough situations like stoning and then they get up and go right back into the city. But Lord, I pray that when you meet our needs, or as you meet our needs that we never forget who you are when you prompt us to do something. I pray that you give us the strength and encouragement to do the things you ask us to do. That you, you want us to, to move forward in life, and sometimes moving forward means going back and doing the things that you want us to do. Or maybe it's something brand new that, that you're prompting somebody right now, Lord. I pray that you bring the friends around them to encourage them to, to do your will in their life. That if we follow through, you're faithful. You provide our needs. You strengthen us. Your Holy Spirit just, just takes care of us, Lord. And we thank you for that. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you as you do whatever he has you to do in this life. As he prompts you. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.